I think it will be an understatement when I say that life, and when I say life, that is how we spend our time and the cumulative effect of how we spend our time, how it have this effect on our values and our beliefs in the Bahamas. So when I say again that it's an understatement to say that life in the Bahamas has changed over the years. Now, generally speaking, change could be a very good thing. It depends on what it is that is changing. Certainly in our country today, what we are thinking about change would certainly be Abaco, Grand Bahama. When we think of the landscape of those two islands, it has changed. When we think of the people who were placed there, there is some change in thought. There's going to obviously be some change in lifestyle. There's also been some change. When I think again of where we are today and where we were in the past, the Bahamas has changed. How we used to travel has changed. How we used to shop has changed. Now, for the context of those who don't know, I am again from over there, the big yard. I am from Andros. When I came to New Providence, we were saying we are coming to town. Amen. All right. We're going to town. Now, when's you, and we travel by boat predominantly. There was also a time we traveled by plane. Aha, take that. The plane was, now, most of the planes on the runway nowadays are almost horizontal to the runway or the pavement. This particular plane that I remember going on once, this was slanted up. You enter the back and you have to walk up in the plane. They had a flight, I believe it's called Bahamas Airways. Those who said, hey man, you've just dated yourselves. <laughs> Even the way we communicate has changed. I don't know where this came from, but when I was shorter, I would have said heavier, but I was always this weight. But when I was shorter, we used to say, well, what we never used to say, where did this come from when we say, that's my old lady? Where did it come from? It smuggled itself right into our culture. Do you ever say old man? I've never called my dad old man, because I would be referred to as the late child. <laughs> So this idea, but why is it we're not consistent? Why would he say old lady, but we don't say old gentleman? Do you imagine if that was reversed? Old ladies seem to, ladies tend to add a little bit of decency to it. A lady, old man. Old gentleman sounds awkward. But we call it my old lady. Imagine if you just call it 
to match man, old woman. See, see, you see, they're exactly that. You go and say, this is my old woman. Kapow, <laughs> if you were in range. Do you know what it means in terms of how communication has changed? For some of you, do you know what it means if I say gitten? Gitten. Well, if you don't know, by the way, Jerry is from Abago. Where's Brother Jerry? Okay, Jerry's doing some business in the back. I told you I'm from Andros. Gitten, but let me just make sure I may ask this again. Does anybody know what gitten means? Or this was only local in North Andros, Mastic Point, in the bite? Gitten. Well, okay, since you know, I'm not going to tell you. You just want no things. <laughs> Let me go to another word. We used to call people chicken if they call you a chicken. Now, as a fowler, I understand. <laughs> if somebody called you a chicken, what does that mean? You're a coward. Uh-huh. What if they call you a turkey? Now notice they're going with these birds. I am a fowl. What if they called you a turkey? You ain't serious. But where did they get this word, add to turkey, jive? We had no jive in the Bahamas. Where did they get your jive turkey? That's an import. Jive turkey. Do they, they don't use those words nowadays. They have some other stuff they use. 96 hours ago, I had an opportunity to speak to a lady. Well, I was trying to resolve an issue between this lady and another lady. And so I was getting this side of the story. And in her process of her explaining to me what were the sequence of events, she says, and I said to her, slow your ride, girl. I had to say time out. I didn't know what slow your ride meant. <clears throat> now, let me just ask, is there anybody else in this room who know what slow your ride means? Well, where you all come from? <clears throat> take your time. I, I'm hearing different things, but I take your time. Calm down. Slow your ride. Well, you can understand me again. I'm, I'm from Andros. We, we didn't have much ride. So, 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 so when they say slow your ride, and I didn't even have a ride. I, I, didn't, I didn't understand what she was saying. So when I say that the language has changed, you must bear with me that there must be some credibility to that statement. So the way we, you were not allowed to say the word, this is a big grown-up word, you were not allowed to say lie. Oh no, no. If somebody did not tell the truth, you couldn't say he lied. You might have been lying down after you said You could say story, but you couldn't say lie. He lied. No, them big people words. The language has changed. But not only that, what is more serious, I think, in terms of what has changed, is their belief system, their values have changed. Some people even believe that, and you might have you been guilty of using the same phrase, some people say this generation is different. They say this generation has changed. This is, some people say this is just a different generation. 
By the way, what is a generation? Some people say my generation, their generation, your generation, not your generator, even though you need it often these days. But different generation, by definition, we would say, is basically defined as a group of people born around the same time and raised around the same place. That's why I could be in a small community in Andros, and what I'm exposed to affects my beliefs, my values, ultimately, my morals. But this generation, by definition, these are people who are born around the same cohort uh, of time-wise. They exhibit some similar characteristics, some preferences, some beliefs, some values, and some expectation over their lifetime. But do you know that these gen My grandmother on my mom's side was born in 1910. If any of you were born in 1910 who are in here, she was in the category where they refer to as the traditionalist or the silent generation. If you were born, let me say it this way, if you were born before 1945, you and that generation called the traditionalist or the silent generation. If you were born after 1946, which means you decided to be born after the war was over, World War II, until about 1986, you were considered to be in the baby boomer generation. That's me. I'm in the boomer and baby and baby boomer generation. And so are a lot of you, I suspect. If you were born after 1967, up to about 1976 and thereabout, you consider Generation X. Generation X. If you're born after 1977 through nine, the middle of 1995, you were considered to be the millennialist. And they have millennial almost like one and two. But you are a millennialist or Generation Y. If you were born after 1996, your generation is yet to be determined. <laughs> <laughs> you are called Generation Z. Notice they're dealing with the letters in the alphabet, or they call it the I generation, or the centennials. But the generations have changed. And it has affected the church. The statistics are both startling and convicting. The church is losing this generation. I looked at a photograph of Calvary Bible Church on this side, an old photograph on one of their early services in 1962. And the yard was full of people. It looks like just counting randomly, certainly between 350 and 400 persons. But if you zoom in with your young eyes, you might see there was a mixed generation of persons' presence in that photograph. Generation Z, this generation. Once upon a time here at Calvary Bible Church, it had more children in Sunday school than there were adults that were in Sunday school. That is not so today. Today, if you went over at 9.30 into Sunday school and count the persons who were in Sunday school, we had more adults, uh, all of the adult Sunday school classes, than when you count all of the children in the Sunday school classes. 
things have changed. Where have all the children gone? As a child growing up in Andras, not attending church was not an option. There were six of us, and the routine was Sunday morning. It's a given. You going to church. Now, I thank God for my mother, and I said this, I think, here before. She was my Lewis and Eunice, Timothy, mother, grandmother, with my spiritual development. My dad deposited, spiritually speaking, zero into my life because he was not spiritual in that regard. But for me, going to church was a must. Those who were born in that generation, you had no option. It's we are going. Today, and because I still connect with persons who uh, today have younger persons or children, the children will determine if they wake up, you know, that morning, and if, and these are primary school age children. Those of you who drove some, passed through some of the communities, you might have seen some children on your way to school, and the way they were attired would reflect that they did not intend to go to church today, or they already went to church, highly improbable, but quite a number of them are just on the streets. I didn't have that option growing up, and I thank God that I didn't. But today, this, generations are, this generation is unchurched, uninterested, and unsaved. However, they are not unreachable. Your children, your grandchildren, are growing up in a very secular, carnal world that is competing for every moment of their attention, with the media being custom-made or fit for their fast-paced lives that is relevant to them. What then is the result? It means then that the next generation is disappearing from the seats here at Calvary Bible Church and other churches in record numbers. It'll be interesting to find out, just from the people seated here, how many of you, if you're not a chicken, are brave enough to raise your hand if you became a Christian before the age of three? Put your hand up and put it down before you were three. Thank you. All right, that's a whole none of you. Normally, the National Association of Evangelicals says that persons who fall in that category representing Christians are usually 1% or less. If you became a Christian between age 4 and 14, if you, would you raise your hand and put it down? Wow. Put it back. If you became a Christian between 15 and 29, put your hand up. Put it down. Let me ask this. I'm going to merge those two together just so I can get a snapshot here of this. If you became a Christian between age 4 and 29, raise your hand. 
I rest my case. That's, a, that's, a, that's incredible. If you became a Christian after 30 or older, raise your hand. Normally that's 2%, so the statistic says. It becomes more difficult. And so the, the, the period or the years when we should be, when I talk about the generation disappearing, notice what has happened for you. When you became a Christian, the majority of those persons, which will equate to about 60-something percent. And when I add the two categories together, we up into about 94% of the persons became a Christian, a believer, between age 4 and 29. And when we look in our congregation, when I say we're losing the next generation, how many of those persons make up our congregation? And I mentioned the Sunday school, which is an incredibly important ministry among us. But if the children are not coming to us, or if your children and if your grandchildren, and you're not bringing them or insisting that they come to Sunday school, do you understand how you are contributing to making it that much more difficult for them to be exposed? And or if in your own home you are not modeling the value of being in Sunday school, but more importantly, living out what you say is your faith even in the home. Today, all that was my introduction. Before I say the benediction, let me say this to you. I believe that we have this amazing and wonderful privilege to be adopted by God. You, as a believer, is a child of God. I said earlier, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Jesus is yours. That has some incredible benefits. I just want to read this for you. Galatians chapter 4, 1 through 7, then I'll make some comments. Then I will turn sideways, which means I will disappear. But let's read this. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let me give you a summary. Now that's chapter four, so you can get an appreciation of what just happened before chapter four. By the way, Paul is writing to the believers in Galatia, which today is probably referred to as Southern Turkey. But encouraging the believers there to hold firmly to what they have been taught. But my brothers and sisters, I believe for this, the majority born generation, 
what we have been taught, we have not been consistently passing that on to the next generation. We then are culpable. We are guilty of not doing so. And as a result, other entities and interests are getting the attention of the next generation. But in chapter 3, Paul says this, and it seems rather harsh the way he began chapter 3, because he says in verse 1, you foolish Galatians. Normally I say, you foolish gal, but you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Wow. Who has swung you? Who has bamboozled you? Who has hoodwinked you? Who has duped you? In other words, some people, some Judaizers have come on after Paul and were telling the believers in Galatia that in addition to having placed faith in Jesus Christ, you have to follow these ritual, ritualistic laws. And so Paul was obviously, from the choice of words he used, was annoyed. And so he wrote to them these words, you foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you? Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? The answer is obvious. By faith, Paul. Verse 8 says that the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham saying, all the nations of the world all the nations shall be blessed in you. Over in verse 26, we say, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You know that, you've heard that, you've read that, but what does that mean? You are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 29 says, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's spiritual offspring is according to the promise. Now, see, people are telling you to keep the law, these legalists. No one can keep the law perfectly. So let's settle that. Scripture says that. The law can lay down what the person should do, but it cannot and was not intended to give them the power to overcome the temptations to do evil because people will still break the law. Isn't that why they put traffic lights up? Guilty, because you run that several times. I'm not asking you, if you look at me straight, you're guilty. You're just trying to distract me. In the New Testament, believers in Jesus Christ are referred to as God's children. John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13 says this, but as many as receive him, and I wish everyone in this building received him, if you haven't done so, do so today. But as many as receive him, to them he gave the right or the power to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God, born of God. See, when you think natural birth, born of God, it's a, for me, I paraphrase and say, what is it, what is it feels like for God, you've been born of God? This is your second birth. It's like God in his love was pregnant with you and gave birth to you. You are now God's child. Galatians, let's slow down those chapter, I mean, chapter four, verse one to three. Let me read that again for you. Now I say, 
as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from the slave, although he is the owner of everything. But he is on the guardian and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. In the Jewish culture, let's go all the way back to the Old Testament. The children of Israel left Egypt, had some fight about, went into the wilderness, were there for a while because of disobedience. Now they are entering the promised land. Once they got in and conquered, then there was the distribution, the sharing up of real estate. There was one man who died in the wilderness, and so when they were issuing out deeds for different portions of the promised land, um, he did not, since he was dead, he had five daughters, interesting names, by the way. By the way, this man's name is meaning like dark shadow, almost dark Veda. Yeah, well, that's what his name meant. But his name is Zelophehad. And he had five girls, and I've looked at it, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of names in registers, but I've never seen any of these names in any of the registers in the Bahamas. Well, maybe one, maybe two. They all, all of the girls' names ended with A-H. Ah. Well, the first one was, let me tell you what the names mean first. The first daughter was called Forgiven. Isn't that a beautiful name? Forgiven. My first daughter, Forgiven. The second one was called Movement. Do you think she moved a lot during pregnancy? Ben, that her mother was pregnant with her. So they called her Movement. The third one was called Dance, Dancing in Circle, or Circular Dancing. Or, in Hebrew, the word could mean a bird, a bird, a fowler, a bird, a partridge. All right? So you have the first daughter's name is Forgiven, Movement, Circular Dancing, Partridge. And then the fourth daughter's name was Queen. That's nice. Queen. And the last one was called Pleasing. Now let me tell you what the name means. Well, here's how they pronounce. Mala, Noor. Now, this third child's name, that means circular dancing. If she was born in the Bahamas, no. I mean, now that down. Born on Andras, she would have had problems. All right? Because her name is Hogla. Now, you know... H-O-G, we will stop right there. We ain't gonna say no more. Your name is Hog, you know, and that's, them is, them is fighting words, right? So, Hogler, yeah, means circular dancing. Then there was Milka. We would even bother with that word, Milka. You give Milka, eh? Milka. All right, then you had Tazar. These were her daughters. These daughters went to Moses and said, look, my daddy died, he had no son, so where is my property? Moses went, who he should go to. He went to God and asked, what do I do with this? And here's what he says. Well, this is what God told him in verse, in Numbers 27, verses 8 through 11. Further, here's what you should do. You shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, if a man dies and has no son, then you shall transfer the inheritance to his daughter. And if he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. And if he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his nearest relative in the family, and he shall possess it, and it shall be a statutory ordinance to the sons of Israel 
just as the Lord commanded Moses. Wow. Paul compares the Lord to the trustee or to the guardian appointed to care for the young child and his property. The purpose was to illustrate or to clarify the difference between the previous historical period of spiritual immaturity, that is living under the Mosaic law, and the present period of spiritual freedom, which is living by faith alone in Christ alone. That's incredibly important. And whether or not you as a Gentile, most of you are, we were living under another law, not necessarily the Mosaic law, because we didn't subscribe to that, but we were doing our own thing. To illustrate this, in the Bahamas, you know, I, we sat at a men's fraternity last, um, and we completed it earlier this year, but part of the process is I went around from where we were preparing for that study, and when I went different places, I asked this question, when does a boy become a man in the Bahamas? What do you think the answer was? Exactly that, a variety of no response. And, <laughs> and in some instances they said, when he's 18, really, automatically, all you gotta do is live long enough to get 18 and you're automatically a man. And I asked different persons. Some says, oh, that's a tough question. I remember asking a teller in a bank and she says, well, when he's able to take care as a woman, Okay, whatever that is. And then I say, really? You know, so the one who said 18 and then says, somebody says 21. So there's something magical between 18 and 21. And then I said, really? So is it possible for a person to be over 40 and still a boy? And I got a resounding amen, you know. <laughs> so it couldn't be age because it varies for different people. So I wanted to know what it was. But you know, in some other cultures, of course, you know what happens in the Jewish culture. They have something called bar mitzvah for a boy when he's 12. It's bar, if it's a girl, it's bat mitzvah. For in, in the Greek, it, it ranges as well, but it is determined, like a Roman as well, Roman culture, it will be determined by the father. They will determine when you are ready to take on the status of a man and therefore inherit and then you will be addressed in all of the responsibility as a man. You will be given a toga in the Roman culture to wear this jacket meaning that you have become of age at this point. But for us, when we were born again, when we were adopted, by the way, and again in the Jewish culture, there was no evidence of any adoption. Yet there are three persons, my research to date, three adoptions in the Bible, Old Testament in particular. None of them took place within the environment or the, the country um, or the nation of Israel. Wasn't Moses adopted? Amen, just in case you're trying to remember who he was. All right. Moses was adopted, but that was outside again of Israel. Do you remember that other wonderful lady who was called Esther? Yeah, you remember where she was? In that place like Persia? And you know, and she was adopted by her uncle? Okay, all happened outside of Israel. So it was not, there's no evidence from my reading in scripture that shows that in 
the, the nation of Israel there was any adoption per se. But for us, the spectacular thing about God's children and its inheritance is Christ, uh, inheritance in Christ is that while it took his death to acquire, he rose again. So while again it took his death for us to acquire this, this adoption, it is the fact that he rose again that makes this in a class all by, by itself. We received inheritance of Christ because he lives. That's absolutely amazing. Most of us today, we only inherit something from our, whoever that is after they dead. And then we said, now you can get it. But you remember that person in the Bible who used to ask his daddy, give me my things now, you know? And he didn't want to wait. And now you all refer to him as the prodigal son. You know, his daddy, you living too long. I need my things. I hear things calling me over there. Give me, give me what is mine now. And we know how that ended. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Wow. Who are they talking about? You. You and I who are his children. These include things like forgiveness of sins, redemption, eternal life, lavishment of his richness and his rich grace, being justified, being declared holy, righteous, and blameless before him, being adopted as God's child. This is absolutely incredible. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 says, In him, O you also, after listening to the message of truth and the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who has given us a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. That's a good place to say wow or hallelujah. These are some of the incredible, incredibly amazing truths and found in scripture. Peter says that our inheritance will never rot, it will never rust, it will never fade away or be corrupted or destroyed, but rather it is imperishable, undefiled and unfading and kept in heaven for us. Galatians 4 again, verse 4 and 5 says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth a son born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. These verses objectively tells us about the Christological fact about who Christ is and also soteriology about salvation. Those two things, Christ and salvation, form the basis for our justification. Galatians 6, I mean 4, 6 through 7, verses 6 to 7. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son... And basically the if in the grammar that means, and since you are a son, then you are an heir through God. Our relationship with God can be intimate rather than formal. The word our means in Aramaic, daddy. In Mark 14, 36, Jesus used that same word when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Sometimes we over-sentimentalize this word when we, I guess, when we call doing baby talk. Like, come to Dada. Yes, you're looking so cute. My little that, that ain't the same word. This is something different. As a word, it is not so much associated with infancy as it is with intimacy. It is a cry from your heart, a cry out, a call out, Abba, with deep emotion. That's the meaning of the word. The purpose of the son's mission was to give the rights of sonship. The purpose of the spirit's mission is to give you the power to use your status as a son. Believers, after the cross, you are full sons. And as such, you are full heirs. How foolish then it would be to go back under the bondage of law or rituals. For we, called Ephesians, for we, by grace, we have been saved through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. When a sinner trusts Christ and is saved, as far as his condition is concerned, he is a spiritual babe who needs to grow. But as far as his position is concerned, he is an adult son who can draw on the father's wealth and who can exercise all of the wonderful privileges of sonship. Let me conclude by reminding you, so if somebody asks you, who are you? You are God's child. Who are you? I am an adopted person. I'm an adopted into God's family with full rights. Do you have a story to tell? Yes. You were not always adopted. You were not born into this physical world adopted. You were adopted into God's family. And so I say this and summarize with all of the advantages of your inheritance. If I had the time, I would tell you that my dad was adopted and then he ran away. He grew up in a family of eight, there were eight of them. His dad died when he was about seven. And so you remember from those who, from that era, that generation, um, if you had all these children in the community, they will say, well, look, this one will keep this child and this one will keep this child. And in the case of my dad, the persons who said they'll keep my dad, basically adopt my dad, lived in another community which means he was separated from all of his other siblings. And he, as he told me the story, he was mistreated in this other family as an outside child. He was not adopted. They thought they were doing, I guess, my mom a favor. All right, or not my mom, my dad's, I guess, mother a favor. But so he didn't stay long because he had to get up earlier than the rest of the children to go and look for Jumbe to feed the goat. He, ate, he was the last one to eat around the table so they fed their children first. So even though they might have said, this is, I adopt him, he did not have the same status as the other biological children of the family that he lived with. So he ran away and um, on a boat from Andros to New Providence. I will tell you part two next time. And so, I conclude by saying this, reminding all of us about the wonderful privilege it is to be adopted by God. What is it that you inherited? Can I tell you then that, Brother Randy, that you are forever forgiven as his child? Isn't that cool? 
as his children, we are forever forgiven. Yes, Sister Priscilla Murphy, you are eternally saved. She was here, so she's outstanding. Yes, you are eternally saved. Yes, Brother Richard Evans, you are fully justified. Sister Debbie in the back, you are fully justified, but also you are declared holy. Yes, Sister Murdy, I see you there. God's grace has been lavished upon you as his child. Brother Clifton and Nancy, you are redeemed. It has been paid in full. Oh, I thank him for the blood because it was the blood that caused it to be paid in full. Thank you, Brother Nicholas Ward. You are being declared righteous and blameless because you now adopted as his family. Sister Laverne, you have been made into a new creation in Christ Jesus. I think that's good cause to say, praise the Lord, I'm his child. Brother Anthorn, you have been set apart, sanctified for his glory. Praise the Lord for being his child. Sister Brenda, you are being sealed, locked down, and indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Bless the Lord, Nathaniel. You are being the recipient of his great mercy. Sister Dawn, in your melodious playing, you are a divine, yes, yes, divine mediator. That's who God is to you. Uh, there, I said, Brother Monty, you have been adopted by God into his forever family community. That's because you are the child of God. Yes, we also see Brother Edgecombe, we have a new name and some very special wardrobe in heaven with white wardrobe waiting for you because you are his child. Sister Kayla in the back, you are joint heirs. This is incredibly important. Joint heirs with Christ Jesus. Joint? I get the same as Yes, Sister Kayla, and all of us, that's us a wow moment because we are being adopted into God's family. And for the rest of you who are not sure I could call your name, come ye blessed of my Father, inherited the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, Matthew 25, verse 34. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that we have an imperishable inheritance. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ Jesus, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. All of these wonderful blessings because we have been adopted into the family of God and we have this tremendous inheritance. And so it doesn't matter when this old body starts creaking and scratching and breaking down because that's okay. When people talk bad about you, that's okay. When people insult you, that's okay. So we do not lose heart, according to 2 Corinthians. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner man is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal, I go into the gym, weight of glory beyond comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're just passing away. But the things that are not seen, they are eternal. This adoption, my brothers and sisters, and simultaneous inheritance are a promise, but it is not for everyone. The inheritance of eternal life and the adoption of God's sons and daughters are reserved only for those who hear, listen, and trust, and put their belief and their faith in Christ alone. And so I encourage you today, if you are not adopted, come in, believe, place your faith, your trust in Christ alone. Again, 
In the words of the songwriter Fanny J. Crosby, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child, forever I am. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you, sir.